Hello everyone and welcome back. Today will be our final episode of the mini-series. I appreciate all three of the women who I was able to interview over the last few months. I've learned so much more and I hope that you have too. In the final episode, I will be interviewing Megan. She's a licensed clinical therapist with two masters. She's currently working as a trauma therapist and licensed marriage and family therapist at a sexual assault center. Overall, she's an intriguing, educated, and wonderful person. Let's get into the episode. My clients who have experienced that, for once they don't have to challenge their avoidance, they could just be at home and just, you know, and uh, I think... (laughs) In a lot of ways, it's easier, I think, yeah. uh, for them. They, they they feel kind of comforted by that. It's like the absolute opposite, you know, like for <laughs> once where everyone's like, don't yeah. have contact, stay at home, you know? So it's like, yeah, so I mean, it, it, there's like a safety in it. So like the, for, the, for the anxiety piece, the anxiety is there, the unknown is there, but the, the avoidance piece for them is, it, it, I think they've... Yeah, I think they seem to be the the clients that I'm at least I'm currently working with. They they seem to be functioning pretty well. How do you think this the pandemic and everything else has like affected their access to different resources and stuff to help them with you know things like therapy and support groups and stuff like that, or has it mainly just moved to like online? Yeah, so that's definitely been a challenge. I, I know at our agency, you know, we're not we're not providing group services, and I've been hearing people looking for those kinds of things and I know for for people who are just starting out and wanting to start accessing services I mm-hmm. I think there are probably barriers to people trying to get services I mean like for a while for the first few months the one agency that I worked at you know we weren't taking any new people and I know a lot of agencies they were very restrictive about who they were seeing and how they were seeing them and not seeing people therapists are still continuing to not see people in office. Yeah. If it's more recent for those who are in crisis, you know, I think accessing services that anything that creates a barrier to services at all is really problematic. And you really need to get people that very moment when they are first reaching out for services, Mm -hmm. like the very moment when they're ready, because you don't get someone in that very moment when they're ready. They might not be ready again for years. Yeah. So you really have to kind of strike where that where the iron is hot. Yeah. Uh, it's a real shame if you can't provide that service immediately. Um, and so, and if there if there are barriers with you know getting getting to getting to sit with someone, getting you know if if it's an advocate or a therapist oh. or someone who just can can sit there or be or be in the group group services. Honestly, I think, I think group therapy for usually sex trafficking survivors, group therapy is pretty hard to do early on. It, it's really hard for them and it's really hard for the other people because it's the extent of their story is so, there's so much to it. There's yeah. so many different layers of trauma. Sexual trauma survivors tend to do a lot of comparisons. They tend to minimize their own experiences and, and say that, you know, mine wasn't but mine wasn't so bad as, you know, as somebody yeah. else. They don't, a lot of times they question their own deservingness for, for treatment. 
And then when they hear someone's make the other people feel like sex trafficking survivors where it's really very often it's like on the very far end of the spectrum yeah. that really tends to their trauma isn't so bad and yeah. they really don't have a place in treatment and it also makes the trafficking survivor feel that much more fucked up. But I figured something like that. I feel like if you kind of minimize it, then you don't really have to deal with it head on because you don't make it as big of a deal. And so you can push it off like more into the back. I'm sure like, like group therapy and stuff can be pretty triggering for other people who have had similar experiences if they're like not ready to talk about it. There was a, like a survivor, or the one survivor speak out art exhibition a few years ago. There were multiple multiple sex trafficking victims that that spoke about their experience you know in in the wake of that event i heard like continue to remark how much that really affected them and how like they were like just shocked and jarred by by what was said you know and how i think i think it was very upsetting for people to hear that the work unfortunately the the with sexual violence work there's just always this comparison there's always this yeah this you know this pretty much anybody i've ever worked with one of the things that they always say is well you know mine really wasn't that bad and i'm not even sure i need to be here i'm not even i'm not even sure that this yeah i don't even know that this was you know a thing and you know i'm sure i'm using somebody else's spot unnecessarily there's this sense of undeservingness and so that that sometimes that contrast that comparison can be very not helpful took a sex trafficking class with uh andrea nichols who's someone else that i'm like interviewing and in her class she was like talking about how basically the media just portrays it one way as super hyper violent like always like a little white girl who's the one that's getting kidnapped and taken to like a foreign country when really most of it is domestic trafficking from like their own homes and it's people who are in the lgbtq community and stuff like that instead of just people always think of like kids yeah i mean so like with the groups yeah i mean it's very unfortunate that we those are not readily accessible to people that people can't immediately access services as much as we would like them to be any kind of barrier you know and it, it is it is a very difficult thing i think for people when they do have a lot where there's so many crises being able to come in when there's something that's that's been so, so massive and so difficult that it may be really, really difficult for them to talk about it. So safety may be more of an issue. Having that personal sitting there in, in the room with someone where they can feel safe is, I think, that's really nice. It feels yeah. different. It does feel different than talking to somebody like on here. You know, and with trafficking, you have all these different elements of use of technology and tracking and things like that, which raises questions about safety. And uh, if someone's like listening when you're trying to talk to your therapist or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't know. I'm like, it, I mean, that's, you don't know if someone else is in that room with you sometimes. And it's yeah. just, it's a difficult thing that way. Yeah. yeah. That Sounds, are there like any non-traditional forms of therapy that you've seen people use with survivors of sex trafficking or maybe like art therapy or something like that? Most people who are working with trafficking survivors, it's, it's still so much newer and you know, still just trying to recognize and figure out the best thing that I don't know that it, there's like a sense of like traditional versus non-traditional it's not like 
it's not like there's tons of like, hey, manualized therapy for sex trauma survivors, you know, and all these, you know, great evidence, you know, research and all these different evidence-based therapies, you know, and what, what the best recommended treatments are and gold standard, you know, yeah. like, like mm, no, I mean, most trainings that you still go to is still just like, you know, like, you know, like it's still awareness level and not so much, not so much on treatment level, you know, and what's, yeah. what's yeah. really working. I think there's a lot of people trying different things, but I don't know that there's like lots of gold standard sort of protocols. So I mean, yeah. I feel like yeah. most of the time people are you know, just developing their own sense of what, what seems to work best. I think people have different experiences. I mean, like trauma therapy, these are trauma therapies. Speaking for me, I've come to recognize that have you, my approach might mean I need to understand the psychoeducation. I, I need to be informed enough to be able to speak about it and to be able to give the research to say what's normal, what's not normal, have an understanding of what are the typical kinds of things that one would expect and how to phrase that so I can help normalize and challenge the cognitive distortions around it you know and provide effective psychoeducation yeah so that, that's a big part of that initial part of that the ground laying the groundwork yeah but i think that there's a lot of most of the people i've worked with who i've seen other people work with there's there's been a lot of cr just crisis intervention so much in the beginning like it's stabilization stabilization quieting down stabilization just trying yeah. to get this place where you can get you know help with safety and build up coping skills and just get the crisis and that might that might take a while yeah. so you know it's not like someone can just come in and you're going to start like okay day one let's you know let's do let's do a cpt protocol you know and you know like we're just gonna you know bang it out and let's do this you know manualized treatment or let's start with let's just start let's start emdr today let's we're gonna go over safe place you know like yeah don't think you anybody could reasonably or safely do that because those protocols are are really designed to be meant when someone's past the trauma yeah and most of the time with you know with a lot of trafficking survivors they're a lot of times they're still in the trauma do you mean that they still are being trafficked when they're getting help they're 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 either still being trafficked or they still have a trauma their predator or perpetrator yeah in a lot of ways uh, and they're just not in a fully safe place so they're still going through their maybe they're still a trial they're they're homeless and they're not they're not in a stable housing situation so yeah. There are levels of stability that are not in place yet. So in a lot of ways, they are still suffering the repercussions to what happened. So they are in the trauma and not post-trauma. So doing post-trauma work, doing PTSD work is different. You're still, if you're, when someone's actively in the, you are doing a lot more stabilization, crisis intervention, yeah. motivational interviewing, motivational interviewing. It feels very different. Do you have anything that like comes to mind that are some of the coping skills that you teach them when they first come in? I always do grounding, feeling your feet on the floor and, you know, and using your five senses, noticing yeah. things you hear, taste, touch, and smell, having people use ice water so you can, again, using your senses, noticing the texture, noticing 
noticing the the coldness, the sensation, just poking your thumb in it, smelling it, letting it effervesce, things that kind of bring you back to the here and now. Coaching people to like use an Altoid or something like that to you know again help with grounding to help bring them back to the here and now. I do a lot of from the sparks of the structured psychotherapy for adolescents responding to chronic stress manual. There's really worksheets helping people differentiate between self-soothing and distraction. I'll use that a lot. We thought we can self-soothe. There are times when we use self-soothing, you know, things that you can use like with, you know, things that you see, hear, taste, touch, and smell to help calm down your central nervous system or the, you know, to help regulate that parasympathetic nervous system to re-engage it. Drink a cup of, you know, hot cocoa, wrap yourself yeah. In a blanket straight like or a towel straight out of the dryer. I personally like to go hug my cat and bury my face in my cat's fur. <laughs> you know, that goes through each of the senses and then the dis- and then differentiate this the self soothing with the distraction, which are instead of the ones that are like helping you be in your body and connect with your body, the distraction being those things that just help you just kind of like just check out for a little while and yeah. just do something to just help escape for a little little while so like doing a yeah. puzzle or you know listening to music something that just yeah. kind of helps yeah. you out of your head and refocus on something else you yeah. know so, I mean it's not really any different from what I would talk about with anyone yeah those are definitely all good when you're um having anxiety for sure you know deep like 101 you know uh sometimes I'll do sometimes I'll teach do some like a mixture of like a a guided imagery with a gut like a guided meditation the the deep breathing along with that and kind of coach like a progressive muscle relaxation if you can take if you can take someone through those exercises uh it's easier once they learn those do you do the like tapping thing uh emdr yes does that help do you think yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it does help people. I, I think the technique is, a, it, it combines a lot of really helpful things. The overall technique, the way it, it helps identify the negative distorted cognitions and help people focus on that and the, the way it ties together multiple other therapeutic techniques in with it. I think that's very effective. Yeah. And do I see people uh, improving with it? Yes. I, I have some people who who really love it and have had dramatic experiences and effects from it. They say that it's not an exposure technique, which makes zero sense to me because it is very much an exposure technique. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're getting people to think and feel and talk about yeah. what happens, which is the very definition of exposure work. So. <laughs> so do you think that hypnosis or anything like that would be helpful? I would be very, I mean, I'd be very wary about using techniques like that with, with trauma survivors anyway, because, you know, you're talking, if you, you know, you're, you're getting into areas where there's sensitive suggestibility and dissociation. And, you know, if you go back to that, that false memory debate, you know, when everybody lost their licenses in the 1990s. Yeah. I, I think you'd have to tread real carefully on that one. Kind of playing with fire. Yeah, and with you, with sex trafficking survivors, with there being so much, the kinds of things that people might have potentially been exposed to, and I don't know, I guess I would be very wary of anything that takes the power away from them. Yeah, I think that but that's I, a good way to put it for sure. Mm-hmm, yeah. Since they yeah. haven't had power control in a long time. I, 
mm, things being done to them and things suggested and yeah. would feel icky to me and I, I I wouldn't be comfortable doing it so that's I probably wouldn't be the best person to, to yeah get the reference for it <laughs> how long on average do you think it usually takes sex trauma survivors of any kind or victims of like sex trafficking to feel like they have not like completely overcome their trauma or anything, but made like good progress. Like how long do you think that usually takes if you could estimate ish? Healing is a process. It's not an end point. It's, it's not this place that you're just suddenly going to get to one day. It doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. It's accepting those things. It's learning to live with it and love who you are and love yeah. who you are, the impact that you're having in the world. I think everybody's experiences are different, you know, and their level of social support. You know, when people when people have a lot of social support, it's you know, it's it's a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but most people who I think who have been trafficked very often didn't have very good social support. So that process of debrainwash someone, deprogram, deprogram. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I do consider people who who've been through sex trafficking to very often have been brainwashed. Yeah, so you're having to like deprogram them. And in most trauma work, there there's this process of people get to a certain level and they're okay with that and they'll, they'll go so far with their treatment. And then, you know, and then they maybe need to take a break for a while. They might kind of go back into this place of not wanting to think and feel and talk about it for a while before mm -hmm. they're that next level of their treatment that that process of recovery gets prolonged because you know this this place where people kind of go back into to just kind of cover it back up before they're ready to go go forward yeah. again yeah and so there's usually like a period of breaks you know like the you know like you're climbing the mountain and you reach those plateaus mm -hmm. where you're ready to back out and you know go over to the next peak <laughs> it, it's a little bit slower like that it's a long process i think yeah, I don't think anything happens overnight. And I know that counseling for anyone is not an overnight process. Like, as you change with your life and stuff, too, you'll need it for other reasons that are more than just, like, your past. Really, and it, whether it's sex trafficking or child sexual abuse, I don't know that I'm going to differentiate them all that much. You know, really what we're talking about is the difference between simple and complex trauma. And, you know, the more complex of the trauma, the, just the more complex the healing is going to be. The more layers, the more things it's going to take to, to unpack. Yeah. More deprogramming to do and help challenge all those cognitive distortions and, and help, you know, restore a sense of safety and, and self-esteem again. Yeah. Definitely be worth it to make all the changes and go through and realize how strong they are. Now, I've seen some people only be in therapy for a brief, more brief time period and, and say that they're doing well. There, there are a lot of people who, you know, they've been told that the thing that they're supposed to do is go to therapy, you know, so they can check the box. And so yeah. they come in crisis and they do, the, the, they do that initial thing. So they come in, they do that work, but they're not really ready to do that work. They're not really connecting to the feeling yet. They're more like the visitors, you know, they're there. 
to there initially, but then they'll they'll go for like a duration. They'll they'll learn a certain level of skills. You'll give them psychoeducation and coping skills, but they won't really connect. And they will, you know, there's just a level of work that you can't do with them yet because they're not yeah. ready. And then they'll, you know, and they'll go back into that avoidance place where they're at. They're not quite ready yet. Yeah, that makes sense for any kind of trauma. Even if someone like loses a parent or a sibling, it's a process of wanting to be able to face the trauma head on to try and, you know, relieve some of the pain. And it's easy to avoid it or pretend like it didn't happen or it's not a big deal or whatever, because that's easier than having to feel all of the different feelings that you will go in through something like that. Yeah, I will say the one thing that I've had a harder time with with this is the recognition that a lot of clients have been pimped out. So people will present with, you know, engage, you know, you might find out initially that they've engaged in sex work, but then as you kind of peel back the layers and you start to realize that that sex work involved a pimp, as you sort of unpack that, then you start to realize there the levels of coercive control or ways in which they were used as collateral or ways in which they were kept into it, all different things that really, they really criteria for, for sex trafficking, but they might not fit some of, it's definitely something that you really kind of have to be on the lookout for because there's a lot of mixed up feelings in there. And sometimes it's by a family member. Sometimes it's not the ideas of what people typically necessarily think yeah. of by a partner. Sometimes it's by a stranger, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways that, that it happens, but yeah. I think the lines, I think those are the ones that are sometimes um, with those cases are a little bit blurry. Yeah. So it really requires us to be more vigilant in our assessment phase. To see and like understand the grooming that they went through as mm -hmm. well, because then they would, a lot of times I feel like people who have been groomed and then they've experienced trauma and stuff, they think it's like their fault. Yep. It's not quite what people think that it is. Yeah. You see the realization like, oh my gosh, what, what was this? And then as you, you know, you give them referrals to look up some information on trafficking and you ask the use, you know, a lot of times they'll come back and be like, oh my gosh, like, like I didn't realize this is what, it's not like what people said, but that's, that's what happens. That's really disheartening and horrible the way that people manipulate other people into doing things for them like that for their own self-interest. But happens a lot more than... I think people realize for a lot of things, including trafficking or just straight up like sexual abuse to yep. an individual like kids or their children or sibling or whatever. Yep, very much so. Thank you all for joining me for these three interviews. I had a wonderful time learning more about the different forms of therapy used to help survivors. We learned so much about EMDR, group therapy, and community, and the challenges with sex trafficking during a global pandemic. I feel as though I was able to gain a deeper understanding of how disproportionate sex trafficking affects African Americans, especially in the era of the Black Lives Matter movement. I hope that you will stick around to listen to my mini episode recap and that will be the final piece of the mini series. Have a wonderful rest of your day.